I've titled the message today, I Need to Eat More. Why are you laughing? Some of you were laughing. I need to eat more. Well, I think I know why you're laughing. I think most of you, I think I even know I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I bet you're saying, Pastor Jim, it doesn't look like you need to eat more. And it doesn't look like you've missed too many meals. So yes, I am uh, doing a play on words here. I don't need more physical food to eat. But it is interesting, though, that the Bible talks a lot about eating, about food, doesn't it? I mean, if you read the Bible, God has established a food as a very integral part of our lives. First of all, just to sustain us, right? Uh, that we would be able to survive. We eat three times a day. Some of us eat more than three times a day. Um, but in the Bible, there was, uh, food is used uh, very often as a way of celebrating, uh, celebrating. God has the Jewish people celebrate three pilgrimage festivals where everybody had to travel to Jerusalem, Passover and Pentecost, and uh, also the Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they had to go to Jerusalem. Each of these remembered a special work that God had done for the people, and each of them had their own rituals and foods, and they'd last a week. Psalm 23 says that God prepares a table before me, the psalmist writes, in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean when it says God prepares a table? It's a banquet table. It's a table filled with food. Isaiah wrote, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes were hungry when he teached, what did he do? He was teaching to them. He saw their honey. He took those five loaves and the two fish. He multiplied them. He fed the crowd. When he called to Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree, Zacchaeus, I got to go to your home tonight. And they were going to share a meal together. And the Bible even ends with a picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where all the believers in the church of God are going to have this huge feast with Jesus presiding. Now, we also know this, that eating food together is more about, not just about the consumption of food, right? When you eat a meal with someone, you are fellowshipping with that person. You are communing with that person. You're having conversation. Uh, that's the way we do it. And Jesus loved to eat with sinners. And it got him in trouble. And the reason it got him in trouble is because the religious leaders understood this communal aspect of eating together. And they interpreted Jesus eating with sinful people as a way of saying, I condone what you do. I'm fellowshipping with you. But Jesus would say to them, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I want these people to know I love them. Just as our physical bodies need food to survive and to be healthy, the Bible teaches that our spiritual lives need food. God uses the physical to explain the spiritual. Moses said this to the people. He said, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He said, God made you hungry in the wilderness. There wasn't food there so that you would learn to trust in him and he, would, he provided you physical food. And in a very similar way, he makes our souls hungry. There's a hunger within us. And he's saying that hunger, I've made you that way. I've made that hunger for significance, for, uh, for eternal hope. I've put that in you. 
so that you might turn to me and I would be able to fill you. So we're going to talk about that spiritual food. I don't need more physical food, but I do need more spiritual food. And so do you. And so do you. If you would, please, the primary text is in Isaiah 55. So I'm going to take you to one of those passages that mentions food, and I hope it doesn't make you hungry. It's getting toward lunchtime, right? And some of you are already thinking, what? I hope he doesn't talk too long because I'm going to get to that meal. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3 says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Five times in these opening verses, God says, Come. 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 God is a God who graciously invites. He wants us to come. He wants to feed us. He wants to be the supply for your spiritual hunger. Come. And there's a rich supply. He says, if you thirst, come to me. Come to the waters. In the biblical lands, water was often something very scarce. And here he says, come to the waters. He uses the plural. There's an abundance with the Lord. I found out that 3,160 tons of water flow over Niagara Falls every second. That's 75,750 gallons every second flow over Niagara Falls. One, two, 75,000 more, 75,000 more. 70, you can't be thirsty if you're near Niagara Falls. You, you, can't say, you can't say that I don't have a supply. You have everything you need if you're there. And that's what God is saying. I have a supply for your soul. If you're thirsty, come to me. In fact, it's a gracious invitation. Listen to me. You don't need money. In fact, you can't pay for it. You couldn't even afford it. You couldn't provide it. God wants to supply graciously for the needs of your soul because he's gracious to you. He's saying, in effect, when he says buy without money, you go, what does he mean, buy without money? Buy implies you use money, right? Buy without money means buy in, accept the invitation. In fact, the price has already been paid for by somebody else, Jesus Christ himself. And then he asks this question. It's a very profound question. Why? Why would anybody spend money for that which is not bread? Why would people labor for that which does not satisfy? How many of you know when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer? He knows the answer. He's trying to get us to think. Think. Why are you running around trying to fill your life with all kinds of things that will never ultimately satisfy you? Why don't you come to me? People are doing that all the time. Christians do it too. They fill their lives so full of other things other than God. And you wonder why we're starving. 
You wonder why we have problems. God says, why are you, why are you doing that? He laments that any person would reject his offer to come to him for salvation and for their satisfaction. There's warnings in the scriptures. Friends, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have built or hewed out cisterns for themselves. A cistern is a, a big hole that they would dig that would be able to hold water. They've dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. They can't hold water. They've left me. Jesus taught a parable about a great banquet. A man puts on and he sends out invitations. He says, please, come, come, come. I got everything's ready. The spread is laid out. And one by one, they started to make excuses. Well, I bought a field and I got to tend to that. Oh, I bought some animals. I got to tend to them. I'm getting married. Maybe I'll come to the next one you offer. Well, the, the giver of the banquet rejected those who had refused the invitation, and he gave the invitation graciously to somebody else. You don't want to miss God's invitation. You don't want to miss. God says, come to me. And that's why he says in verse 2, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. You're filling up with gummy bears. And I've got a feast in front of you. Some of the kids are going, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> but you can't survive on gummy bears. Linda and I, in our, uh, as we're getting older, we're becoming foodies. You know what a foodie is? We like to go out and uh, every now and then on special occasions go to fancy restaurants. Yes, a little bit expensive restaurants. And we like to see what they got there and explore the foods. Uh, a couple of years ago, we went to one of these upscale restaurants on New Year's Eve. We went with some friends. And I noticed on the appetizer menu this item here. For those of you who are listening online, it's two words spelled F-O-I-E and G-R-A-S. And the waiter says, do you have any questions about the menu? I said, yes. I said, what's this foey grass stuff? <laughs> In your old age, you start to lose your filter. You know, you just, you know. I would have just pointed to it and asked what that was. But what's this foey grass? He looked at me with that southern look, you know, bless his heart. He doesn't have a clue. He says, sir, that is foie gras. Foie gras. I said, what's foie gras? He said, well, it's made out of duck livers. And the ducks are fed in such a way that it fattens the livers and they make it into a pate. And it's a spread. You spread it over bread or a cracker or something like that. I noticed it was $35. So that was enough. Uh, that was enough. Of him. So he asked me if I wanted to order some. I said, no. <laughs> no, I really think we're going to pass. And so he went away, and about five minutes later, the waiter came back with a complimentary plate of foie gras. There it is. Have any of you eaten foie gras? Okay, good. Yeah, we got, we got some takers out there. Well, I'd never eaten it. It looks a little better there. It looks like a steak, doesn't it? But that's actually a pate, you know, and of, it's a spread. And so there it was, and uh, we had to make a decision. <laughs> he brought it and left it there. 
and uh, obviously trying to educate these uh, simpletons about the finer foods of life. So I took just a little bit and I put it on a piece of bread and with trepidation I put it... Wow. That's pretty good. It was rich, it was buttery, it was sweet. It was like, wow, I put some more of that on there. You had to forget what it was made out of. He shouldn't have even told me that. Just say, You're... but I put it on and I really liked it. Friends, God's not serving spam at his banquet. He's serving foie gras. <laughs> I love it. If you're going to serve him any, don't tell him what it is. Okay. C.S. Lewis said this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're eating spam, spiritually speaking, when God wants to provide us the richest of food himself. God says in Isaiah 55, 3, incline your ear, tune in, come to me, hear that your soul may live. Jesus said these words, he compared, uh, made a comparison to that manna stuff that they provided, God provided in the wilderness wanderings. You know the word manna, it sounds like a Hebrew word that's, that means what is it? You might recall that in the, the people were out in the desert and um, wandering for 40 years and God provided this manna, it came with the dew in the morning, settled on the grass, it was like cakes and it was sweet to the taste and when the people saw it they said what is that? They called it manna, and they went out to collect it, and they ate it, and it provided for their physical hunger for 40 years. And Jesus made a comparison in, in John chapter 6. He was teaching, and he said to the people, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. See, the, it was only physical food. It couldn't, but I'm giving you something better. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die eternally. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, my blood. In other words... The food God wants to feed you with is his own son, Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And you will have the gift of eternal life. Jesus is our provision. And God's provision is not only for the immediate. It's not just for our salvation now. It's to help us day after day after day after day after day. The daily manna, it came daily, people. It came every day. Except one day. It did not come on the Sabbath, so people could collect extra on the Friday. But if they tried to hoard it, if they tried to keep extra over, it would rot. God was teaching a lesson. No, you need physical food every day. I'll provide it for you. You need spiritual food every day, and I'll provide it if you come to me. Friends, 
We need to receive from God every day. How many of you are going to eat today? I know you probably are. You probably got some good plans. In fact, as soon as I'd be quiet, you'd go do that as soon as I can be quiet here. But how many of you would say, I'm going to eat today, but I'm not eating again until next Sunday? Nobody would say that, right? But don't we do that spiritually? Sometimes days go by, slip by, and we don't come to God. You don't say, God, I need you today. I love you. Come fill me. Help me. Be my provision today. You know how I get when I don't eat? I get cranky. I'm just, I'm not myself. You know? How, how about you? In fact, one time somebody said to me, are you on a diet? <laughs> I guess I wasn't being as pleasant as I normally am. And, well, you on a diet or something? But, it, but listen, sometimes we're like, like we're on a spiritual fast, but it's not for the right reasons. You know, we're just not taking in anything. Recently, our home sustained some damage. Remember, we had that real strong, strong winds that came through here that one night, 60-mile-an-hour winds. Well, uh, side of our house, a bunch of siding got tore off, and uh, I was chasing it down throughout the neighborhood. And my first instinct, obviously, was I got to call my insurance company, which I did the next morning. And uh, they were great. They came out and tied things up and sent contractors. Within two weeks, my house was all put back together. I have to admit that until that had happened, I, was, I hadn't thought much about my insurance company. And since it's been repaired, I haven't thought too much about my insurance company. Friends, let's not treat God like our insurance company. You know? Let's not say, oh, when something really bad happens, I need him, I'm going to call on him. And then as soon as we get through that, say, well, okay, he's back on the low priority of life. We need him every day. We need him every day. So how, do we, how does a person come? Uh, back to Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek him out. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God will pardon us. But we have to come to him. We have to come to him. Seeking the Lord speaks of intentionality. You know, the people, when God sent the manna every morning, that would have done them no good if they sat in the house. God had a provision for them, but they had to go out and get it. They had to be intentional about receiving that and acting upon what God had provided for them. Listen, God's not going to just supernaturally fill you and help you. You have to seek him. And as you seek him, he'll fill you. He'll provide for you. He'll help you. Be intentional. Pick up this book. The world is so busy. We're running here and there, and I know we got responsibilities. I do too. We need time just to sit. You know, I found, I didn't say this in the first service, but I found something neat in the scriptures. I want to show it to you or tell you about it. Psalm 107 is this psalm. I'm going to quote from it a little later. But it's a psalm that the psalmist talks about how people in distress were helped by the Lord. And he gives different examples of different distresses. And it's kind of symbolic of what we face in life. And in one place, he said to this, he said this, there were some who, uh, oh my, I can't find it. 
Some went down. Ah, here it is. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. Now listen. He made the storm still. And the ways of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. That sound familiar? What did Jesus do? He calmed the storm, entered the boat, and it says that they arrived safely at their destination. It's like the Bible's so full of little tidbits like that. It's, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, this psalm. The Bible is filled with things that will feed you, encourage you, help you. Read this book, folks. And notice that responding to God's invitation always involves repentance. It says, let the wicked forsake his way. You know, God loves us, but he hates sin. It's, it goes against his character, but he loves us, and he wants to show us mercy, but we have to confess our sins. We have to keep short accounts with God every day. Come to him. And God promises to satisfy a spiritually hungry person. Back to that Psalm 107, verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jesus taught this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. They will be satisfied. You know, if we don't have an appetite physically for a period of time, we go to a doctor. We say, doctor, I'm not, I have no appetite. Something's wrong, right? If you have no spiritual appetite, if you're sitting here today, there's no appetite in your life for God or the things of God. I, I tell you lovingly, you're sick. You're sick spiritually. And I encourage you to go to God and say, God, what is this in my life? Why, why do I have no... I don't even have a desire for you right now in my life. Would you help me? Would you show me what's wrong? And give me the ability to turn from the way I'm going, because whatever I'm doing is not working, spiritually speaking. And help me to turn to you. I, I encourage you to do that. I close the message today with a lesson from Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. These verses are found in John 4, but most of you know the story. Jesus encounters a woman at the well. She'd lived a very difficult life, married five times, currently living with a man, just an emptiness within, inside her, and he tries to say to her, listen, if you knew what I wanted to give you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. <laughs> he uses that uh, analogy. And he goes through a whole thing. He basically... Uh, reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the promised one. Now the disciples weren't with Jesus when he talked with the woman at the well. They had reached the well. They were weary from traveling. They were traveling from Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north. They were in the middle section of Samaria. They stopped at noon. It was hot. They had stopped to rest, and then the disciples went to go get some food. Okay, Just about the time Jesus is done talking with them, the, the, the uh, woman at the well, the, the disciples return, and that's where I pick up the story. 
Verse 27 of John 6, or John 4, excuse me. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So the people of the town went out and they were coming to Jesus. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Classic misunderstanding, disciples thought he was talking about physical food. He was talking about spiritual food. He says, you know what energizes me? You know what feeds me spiritually? Is when I'm doing the will of God. When I'm obedient to him. And when I'm on mission with him. When I'm carrying out the mission he's given, that energizes me. That's what life is about, friends. Uh, We need to be obedient to God. And you'll be energized physically. Obedience will energize you spiritually. Disobedience will just deaden you spiritually. A missionary was struggling to find a word for obedience in the native language of a tribal people he was ministering to. It seems like their language did not have in it a concept of, a strong concept of obedience. One day, this missionary called to his dog, just called his dog, and the dog came running over to him. And one of the tribal people said, Your dog is all ears. And he said, now I know how I'll explain this to them. Obedience is being all ears to God. Whatever he says, whenever he speaks, whatever he says in his word, you say, God, I'm all ears. I'll follow that. I'll obey that. Yes, Lord, you tell me this. I'll do that. Don't do this. Okay, Lord, I won't do that. I'm all ears. And that's obedience. And we are to be on mission with God. My waiter did not realize that he was giving me an illustration for being on mission when he brought me some foie gras. I had said, no, I don't want it. There's a lot of people in this world that have said no to God. I don't want you. I don't want your religion. I don't want your Christianity. But he could have just said to me, my waiter, fine. He doesn't want it. He doesn't know what he's missing. Forget him. Instead, at somebody's expense, he brought me an appetizer of foie gras, something that I liked that I didn't know that I liked. Friends, that's mission. God has put us on a mission of helping people who think they don't want God in their lives to really, to help them taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That's what we're all about. We want to create opportunities for people just to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let your life be an open book. Tell people what God has done for you. Bless people. Pray for them. Listen to them. Invite them to church. Share life with them. Bring them some foie gras. Okay? I close uh, reading this scripture. 
I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read two scriptures to you and then we're going to pray. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate, you, meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, it simply says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Be satisfied in him, church. Be satisfied in him.